0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Turnback Time podcast. I'm Charlie once again. I do want to start off by saying I apologize that this episode took so long to come out. I ended up both getting a new job and then not feeling well right afterwards. So I had to wait to record, but I am back and feeling much better and I'm ready to talk about 2014 for sure. But before I do that, I forgot to do something last week. I forgot to give a top five tracks for Closer to the Truth. So, before I start this, I'm going to do that now. My number one is I Don't Have to Sleep to Dream. Number two is I Hope You Find It. Three is I Walk Alone. Four is Lovers Forever. And five is Woman's World. I would give honorable mentions to Take It Like a Man and uh, Sirens. So now that that's out of the way, I am going to continue talking about the Closer to the Truth era by discussing the Dress to Kill tour. Cher announced that she would be going back on the road at the time of the album's release, making this Cher's first trek in nine years since it would be occurring through 2014. 49 dates were announced in the United States, running from March through July of the year. Many major players from previous share tours returned, with one notable exception. Bob Mackie was unable to design costumes for the tour due to previous conflicts in his schedule, so Kevin Durant designed new costumes for the tour, though some previous Mackie creations were worn during the show. The tour was a huge success. All 49 dates in the US and Canada sold out, and that amounted to over 608,000 tickets being sold. With this kind of success, of course, more dates were added in the middle of the first leg. These 27 additional dates were slated to begin in September of 2014, but due to a viral infection that affected her kidneys, Cher had to postpone the tour, and sadly, eventually cancel it. Cher did mention wanting to reschedule dates for 2015. This did not end up happening. So, the Dress to Kill tour ended up being Cher's shortest tour or residency in quite some time, being only 49 dates, but the tour still managed to gross over $55 million, even with the canceled dates, and it was the 19th highest grossing tour of 2014. It likely would have been higher if the canceled dates actually happened, but overall, you could still call the Drastic to Hill Tour a success story, even with the cancellation of the second leg. I, of course, attended the Dress to Kill tour. I went to the show in Washington, D.C. on April 4th, 2014 with one of my high school classmates. And I had a wonderful time. I was way up in the nosebleed seats because I worked at Wendy's at the time and that was all I could afford. But I still had the time of my life. And my high school theater teacher, Mrs. Carlson, who happened to know Cher, we had a bit of a bond because of that she met her backstage again and ended up giving me her autograph on the Closer to the Truth CD that I gave to her for Christmas. Mrs. Carlson, that is. But Cher signed it to me and had my name on it. It's one of my prized possessions. I have it displayed proudly in my living room. For this podcast, I naturally watched the performance of the tour on YouTube because it wasn't filmed professionally or released on DVD or streaming. I watched the recording of a show in Philadelphia. I have to say, I think I got lucky I went to one of the better nights. Not that there's ever a truly bad night, but I believe Cher had a bit more energy at my show from what I recall than she did in the Philly date that I viewed. A lot of fans weren't pleased that Bob Mackey did not design costumes for the tour. I can kind of see why. The costumes that were used weren't quite as glamorous as Mackey's. However, I do think that Kevin Durant, when he had the chance to be creative, I think he managed to come up with some pretty cool concepts for the costumes but some of them did look like poor imitations of Bob Mackie outfits. Those will be discussed, of course. Because Cher had done both the burlesque soundtrack and this new album, Closer to the Truth, she managed to switch her setlist up a bit. I actually recall, before the tour happened, Cher on her website had a setlist creator tool where you could vote for the songs that you wanted to hear the most, there were a couple of deep cuts that I voted for that were included on there, specifically You Wouldn't Know Love from Heart of Stone and Real Love from Living Proof, I was shocked to see them, and of course they didn't end up making the set list, but I liked that they were at least considered on paper, but overall the setlist managed to fit in the new songs very well, and we got most of the share Essentials that the fans were expecting to hear. Before I discuss the show itself, there is an unfortunate aspect of this tour that I want to get out of the way of discussing. I don't feel I can avoid it as much as I may want to. In September 2014, three dancers on the Dress to Kill tour, Jacqueline at ballinger Suzanne Easter, and Kevin Wilson, filed a lawsuit against Cher and her touring company citing wrongful termination for reporting a sexual assault that occurred after a show in St. Louis on June 3rd, and racial discrimination was cited in this lawsuit as well. The complaint states that on June 3rd, a female fan complained to Ms. Ballinger that another dancer on the tour pressured her into having sex with him. Ms. Ballinger reported this incident to Ms. Easter, and she was disturbed by it and decided to go tell Cher's tour manager, Doriana Sanchez, and her vocal assistant, Dennis Thomas. Being the dance captain, Mr. Wilson was involved in a meeting with Miss Easter and some of the tour management team, and they were told that management would take care of the situation and to not tell Miss Ballinger about the meeting. In July of 2014, Ms. Easter, Mr. Wilson, and Ms. Ballinger were all terminated and were told that it was due to budget cuts, which they claimed was incongruous with the tour's success. Mr. Wilson claimed that when auditioning dancers for the tour, Cher commented that they should not hire a black female dancer because we have too much color on stage. The dancers asked for $10 million in damages and to be rehired on the tour. So here's what I think about that. First off, why would you ask for $10 million and to be rehired on the tour? If you have $10 million, you don't need your job again. Just saying, if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't work ever again. It is strange that these dancers were fired. They were all longtime employees of Share. The newest hire of these was Jacqueline Ballinger, and she was hired in 2009. Suzanne Easter was hired in 2002, and Kevin Wilson in 1999. Jamal Story, who was also hired in 2002, did write a post responding to this lawsuit and said that he was disheartened to see that racism was a part of the complaint filed against his boss. He said that his experiences with Cher were not that of a racist performer. In his post, he even noted that at one point during the Coliseum shows, there were so many black dancers that she could have been accused of black exploitation. Two of those dancers being Kevin Wilson and Suzanne Easter. However the dancers getting rehired for the tour ended up being a moot point because the tour was canceled, and the lawsuit ended up being dismissed in July of 2015 at the request of Ms. Ballinger. Overall, I just think it's sad that this lawsuit was fired. I think that what the plaintiffs asked for was unreasonable, that was a lot in damages, and... I don't believe that Cher made the comment about there being too much color on stage. As for the assault account, if it's true, it is disturbing. However, it is a bit difficult to prove because the alleged victim did not speak in this lawsuit. This is all through third parties discussing what happened. I know that false reports of sexual assault are rare, and no victim is under any obligation to come forward, that is a personal choice, however, without the victim's account, this story doesn't completely hold up. But enough of that, I don't like talking about stuff like that, especially not on a podcast like this, but unfortunately, it did have to come up. But I'm ready to talk about something a bit more lighthearted, the main reason we're here today, which is the Dress to Kill tour show itself. Like the previous few Cher tours, this show begins with a career montage video set to a remix this time of Woman's World. And it's a nice video, it gets the crowd all hyped up for Cher. And then, we see her enter, she wears a peacock-inspired Egyptian ensemble with a matching headdress. Cher doesn't appear on a fancy prop for her entrance like she did for the previous two shows, but the costume makes it spectacular enough, and her opening song is naturally Woman's World. We see a giant sun in the background, this is the video screen for the show... And there's a golden video background as she does the song. It's a good opener. I like that a Cher song was finally used as the opener. I liked hearing her do. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But it was definitely time for a change. And it's nice that it was a new Cher song. The album opener for Closer to the Truth. It made sense to open the show with it. And it's high energy gets the crowd going. Uh, This is the only tour that we get to hear the whole Woman's World song, though, which is nice. That won't happen again in the future. But there is one good thing about the future performances, is that the choreography for this song does improve in the future. Here, Cher doesn't get a whole lot to do. She does get more to do in the future, so I am watching this with the benefit of hindsight. But I do greatly prefer the choreography from 2017 onward to this 2014 iteration, but I still like that we get the whole song, and it's still a good performance and a great show opener. Woman's World is followed by Strong Enough, which I think is an appropriate following song. It has a very similar theme and is a well-beloved hit in its own right. Cher loses the headdress for this one, and we get some male dancers dressed as warriors for this one. We get to see her whole dreadlocked wig. It is quite pretty. Even though it is cultural appropriation, it's still pretty. We can't take it too personally here. I don't think Cher means any offense when she does it. And after the song is over, we get the tour monologue. Cher talks about her flimsy entrance. She says that she was held by dental floss and didn't know what she'd do for her entrance, but she had to make it fabulous because what's her life compared to your happiness? And that the audience just wants her to sing. Cher then talks about how she loves Dr. Pepper, she needs to drink less of it. She trashed them, but saw their banner in Dallas, Texas on the tour, and they gave her a cooler, but she said Dr. Pepper, they could kiss her ass, one of her beaded cheeks, Cher reveals that her assistant Jen mixes Dr. Pepper with Perrier. Cher says that it's a white trash, white wine spritzer. Ha ha. Cher's love of Dr. Pepper was discussed at every show, but the monologue altered beyond that. At the show I went to, Cher talked about how she talks, but people seem to like it. And she says her audience thinks Gaga doesn't talk like this. But Cher at my show then said, I'd rather talk than have some chick vomit on me, a reference to Gaga's then-recent South by Southwest performance, which grabbed some headlines. At other shows, Cher also said that it would indeed be her final tour. Of course, this ended up not being true, but that was what she said at the time, and the cancellation did make it seem that it could be. That way, the cancellation of the second leg, that is. But fortunately... She was back in 2017, performing again. Cher then leaves the stage, and we see a vampire dance interlude with a Transylvania background, and we see video of inside the castle of Transylvania, we see a chandelier on stage, and Cher comes up on a chandelier in a black vampire getup, complete with a bat hat, that's my favorite part of the outfit. There are two men right beside her on the chandelier, and they are half naked, and an unbuttoned shirt escorts her off, and she performs the rest of the song, and she even sucks his blood at the end. This one's a lot of fun. I think it's the most creative performance on this tour, probably because Dress to Kill was a new song. They got to do something very different with it. I really like this performance. I do wish she did Lovers Forever right after this one. That would have been perfect. Unfortunately, that didn't quite happen. Because right after this performance, we get a Sonny and Cher video montage. Clips of the 60s are set to Little Man, while clips of the 70s are set to All I Ever Need Is You. And following this video interlude, we see a video of Sonny and Cher on the sun backdrop, performing The Beat Goes On on a 60s television program, and we see the dancers in their very mod 60s outfits, and of course... Cher then comes out in her red mini dress that she wore on the Coliseum show. The setup isn't quite as good as it was on the Coliseum show, but this is a tour, so they couldn't quite keep everything as well in place as they could at Caesar's Palace. However, this is still a highlight performance, and Cher sounds awesome on it, and I think it was smart to reuse this dress. It's a very pretty outfit, and Not everybody made it to Vegas, so it was smart of her to at least bring an element of that wonderful show to the Dress to Kill tour. After the beat goes on, Cher introduces the next song. It was a song that she had been wanting to do forever, but she wasn't sure if she could. But she thought that he, as in Sonny, would love it. So she decided to finally do it, and it was a virtual duet of I Got You Babe. This is definitely the emotional highlight of the show, and it has lasted ever since for a good reason. It works every time. The audience loves it. This is obviously Sonny and Cher's signature song. It just goes over like a charm, and you can still hear the passion in Cher's voice almost 50 years later in this performance of it. She sounds wonderful, and... The song says everything it needs to. Cher doesn't need to go too on and on about Sonny. A lot did happen between them, good and bad. But this song did the speaking in this case, and that's what it needs to do. And it's a beautiful moment, in my opinion. I Got You Babe" is followed by a dance interlude. This one taking place at the Magical Mystery Circus Carnival of 1898. That made me think of the Beatles, which I love, and... And we see various circus acts performed before Cher comes out in a gypsy outfit to do. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, and Dark Lady. This outfit, unfortunately, is a poor man's version of the Mackie creation that Cher wore at the Caesars Palace shows. It's not terrible, but there was a better one right before it. And she does these songs well. It's a medley once again, but I'm not gonna lie, seeing it now hearing magical mystery kind of made me want to hear Cher come out and do a Beatles medley. If Cher or anybody is listening, if you want to bring back this interlude, that's an idea for ya. There was one great clip actually of the Dark Lady performance where Cher messed up the words. It's just great seeing her just go on with the show beyond that. A true professional. Gypsies and Dark Lady are followed by a Native American dance interlude, which naturally leads into Half-Breed. Again, not the whole song. I have to say, this is a really pretty multicolored headdress, not the traditional white one that we've seen previously from Cher. Obviously, this is a great song, I still think. However, the discourse surrounding it has definitely changed, as have our discussions of cultural appropriation, and this just does hit differently a bit now, especially considering what the Native Americans as a culture have been through in this country. It doesn't quite sit right with me 100% anymore, even though I do think it's pretty to look at, but there is a reason Cher doesn't do half-breed or wear the headdress anymore, Still not a bad performance, but by this point, I think it had overstayed its welcome a bit. And it just hits differently now. That's all I can say about it. The shortened half-breed is followed by the movie montage, much earlier in the show than usual. This one actually features clips from both Good Times and Stuck On You, which makes sense. That was released since the previous tour. And we do get to hear Cher yell out that she is a fucking Oscar winner, which leads into Moonstruck. And nicely, the movie interlude is followed by a burlesque dance interlude, which means that Cher was going to do her songs from burlesque. I like that this follows the movie montage. I kind of wish it had stayed this way, but it didn't. We see a very faithful recreation of the burlesque lounge on stage, and... Cher comes out to sing Welcome to Burlesque in her movie outfit, minus the hat unfortunately, I actually love the hat. But she does the song well, this is a recreation from the movie, but it's what people want to see, I think it works really well. The song definitely sticks out from the others in the show, but it was a well-known song, and the movie is beloved, so it made sense for Cher to fix it into her show, I'm glad she did and she followed it with You Haven't Seen the Last of Me. Cher introduced the song by calling it The Beast. She said that this song and Song for the Lonely were the hardest songs to sing. Sometimes she gets it, sometimes she doesn't, and we see a spotlight on Cher and a sparkly curtain video backdrop. In the Philly performance that I rewatched for this podcast, she did not hit all the notes that she did on the recording, I remember the DC performance being better than the one I saw in the Philly recording. This is still a great song. I do see why she doesn't do it at the time. I remember I was initially a bit disappointed that Cher did Welcome to Burlesque in Classic Cher instead of You Haven't Seen the Last of Me. But after reviewing this performance, I can see why she did This Is a Hard Song to Sing. And she didn't quite hit all of the notes, but she was honest about it. We have to give her credit for that. I don't expect to hear her do You Haven't Seen the Last of Me in a future tour residency. So hearing it on this tour is certainly unique, though I still do want Cher to bring back song for the lonely. Please, 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 please. Just a suggestion, once again, just throwing it out there. I know Cher won't be touring this year, but... If you do again, please, Song for the Lonely, I'll fly to Vegas just to hear that song if it's included on the set list in the future, that's all I'm saying. So, after you haven't seen the last of me, we get a Trojan horse rolled out on stage, easily the best prop in the show, and Cher comes out of it wearing a gold corset and wig to do Take It Like a Man. This is a really fun, high-energy number. She was really getting it the night I saw her do it in DC, and this spilly performance, not quite as much, but I think this is a really fun, high-energy tune, and Cher was having a great time doing it, so one of my favorite performances in the show. After Take It Like a Man, things slow down a bit. We get a video interlude of Cher talking about Elvis and how she grew up with him and went to his concert when she was a kid. We also see clips of her singing Heartbreak Hotel dressed in an Elvis jacket and wig on the VH1 Divas live show from 2002. And Cher comes out to sing, walking in Memphis, wearing a black top and pants. It's a really good performance once again. This is always a vocal highlight of the show, I think. And it's a crowd pleaser. It's just a song she does really well, even though not everyone associates it with her. Cher then talked about her bad foot in the video recording that I watched for the podcast. And she says she gets around like she needs to. And she then introduces Just Like Jesse James by saying... She hates it, but people like it, so she'll do it again, and once again, she kills it. I love this song. She does a really good job on it, and it's nice to have a low-key moment after all the glitz nonstop. At the show I went to, Cher followed Jesse James with Heart of Stone, another favorite of mine, and once again, she did a great job on it. I really loved hearing these two songs at the show because I hadn't gotten to hear them at my first Cher show in 2009, and she hasn't done either of them since, so it was really special to me to hear these songs live. Cher also performed the Shoop Shoop song on the opening night of the tour. She did it barefoot, interestingly. Um, I didn't see this performance. I was fine living without it. It's not one of my favorites, I prefer it when she does it live to the studio recording, but it's usually my least favorite moment of the show when I've seen her since, so I didn't really miss it when I saw the Dress to Kill tour. I was glad to hear Jesse James and Heart of Stone instead. This section of the show was followed by a bang bang musical interlude. This one featured a guitar solo and the backup singers doing a shortened version of the song. I like that the backup singers got to sing it. They both had great voices on this tour. They are not currently with Cher, but they worked it out. They did their thing. This interlude was followed by I Found Someone, moved to much later in the show. Cher comes out wearing her traditional whole fit and leather jacket. I love that this song was moved to later in the show. It makes perfect sense for later in the show. It's a beloved share song, and it works perfectly with this outfit. I don't know why they hadn't done it before. It makes more sense for her to sing this song in the whole fit than strong enough. This was a major highlight for me personally, again, to hear a song I had loved for so long done live for the first time because I didn't get to hear it when I went to the Coliseum in Vegas. I've heard it multiple times since, but I never ever get tired of I Found Someone. I can't get enough of it. So, a highlight performance for me. And of course, she took her leather jacket off right after and did If I Could Turn Back Time and... Killed it as usual, turn back time is always a show highlight. I don't really think there's much more I can say about if I could turn back time at this point that hasn't already been said. That song is followed by a Believe Dance Remix interlude, and the dancers are all wearing very colorful ensembles that work for them. On the opening night of the tour, Cher wore an ensemble that matched theirs, It didn't quite work, so it was switched to something very similar to what she wore at the Coliseum. In the video recording that I watched, she had a pink heart and a white wig with some pink highlights. I saw the same wig, but the red heart was present in the outfit instead. Again, I think this is a real high energy closing number. It's not quite my favorite Believe outfit, but... I still love when she does the song, and it's another song I never ever get sick of. Now, usually the show ends with Believe, but the Dress to Kill tour was an exception. Instead, this show ended with I Hope You Find It, which featured Cher flying on a arched prop and flying over the audience in a golden dress and wig, It wasn't quite the glitziest outfit, not quite Mackie quality, but it did the job, and it was really a beautiful moment. This was easily one of the best performances in the show. She sounded great on it, and it was just a beautiful sight, and it was nice that a ballad was used as the show closer, I thought. And there we have it for the Dress to Kill tour. I forgot to mention earlier that at the show I attended, the opening act was Pat Benatar. She was awesome. Still, probably the best opening act I've ever seen. Pat opened for the first 13 dates of the tour. The remainder were opened by Cindy Lauper. I would have liked to have seen a show with Cindy opening. I hope that Cindy opens for Cher again one day. I feel like that's a tradition I missed out on as a fan Cindy Lauper being Cher's opener. I've heard awesome things about her at the show at the Barclays Center in New York. Cindy was actually joined on stage by Liza Minnelli and Rosie O'Donnell for Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. That would have been pretty cool to see, but Cindy by herself, I'm sure, was amazing. Time after time, I find myself really wanting to see Cindy Lauper live. I haven't gotten the chance to yet, so hopefully one day, Cindy, please come to Baltimore. I'll be there. Overall, I do really like the Dress to Kill tour. I think the most praiseworthy aspect of it is the setlist pattern being changed. I think those changes were all really beneficial. I also love the performances of all of the new songs. I think they helped make this tour really unique. I don't think Cher was quite at her performing best on it. I do think that she definitely overall had more energy on the Here We Go Again tour and the costumes were a bit better because Bob Mackie was back. These costumes weren't bad, they just weren't quite Mackie. Bob Mackie was supposed to design costumes for the cancelled second leg of the tour, but he was back for classic share, and I do suspect that some of the designs intended for the second leg of the Dress to Kill tour were used then, which is smart, we might as well be resourceful. Overall, I do like the Dress to Kill tour. I do think it's probably the weakest Cher tour that has occurred in my lifetime. And it's primarily because Cher's energy wasn't quite as much there as it was both previously and as it would be in the future. Of course, much of this probably had to do with the fact that Cher did end up getting a viral infection that was almost life-threatening, We don't know what all was going on behind the scenes with that in the tour, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did affect the performance a bit. That being said, she still did a great job. We're just measuring up to a really high standard of performance here. I'm just really being nitpicky. This is still a lot of fun, and I had a wonderful time attending it. And with that being said, I would like to make note of my... favorite performances in the show my number one is a tie personally it's jesse james and heart of stone because this is the only time i got to hear them live and that was just very special for me my second favorite would be Dress to kill just super creative and fun then take it like a man then i hope you find it then i found someone because this was the first time we got to see her do it wearing the whole foot, and it was very special for me getting to hear it live After the rest of the tour was canceled, Cher laid pretty low. She stayed active as ever on Twitter. Beginning in 2015, she had plenty to talk about because Donald Trump ran for president that year. And her Twitter was quite active. Some of what she said was absolute gold in reference to that. Unfortunately, it didn't stop that horrible, horrible man from being elected. But I don't want to get too political here. Cher did make a couple of appearances in 2015. She appeared at the Met Gala and wore a pretty low-key black ensemble. Not really low-key, but low-key by both her standards and the Met Gala's standards, for that matter. She also made an appearance on one of David Leatherman's final shows on CBS. It was a cute appearance, and it made sense to have Cher come back to do it because She had had two iconic career moments on his show in the 80s, both calling him an asshole and reuniting with Sonny, so of course Cher came back to it. Fortunately, there will be a bit more Cher activity in the years following 2015, and some of that will be discussed next time in the episode on 2016 and 2017. But in addition to that, I have some very exciting news. So as you all know, things are getting to be wrapped up here on the Turnback Time podcast. But I will be doing a new podcast called Turntables and Tea. It will be featuring me and my friend Corey Cross. You may have met him earlier, kind of, sort of. He appeared on the episodes of this podcast for 1975 and 2000, where he helped me discuss stars and not commercial, so I'm really excited to be doing a full new project with him. We'll be discussing different albums each week, and we'll be spilling the tea on them, hence the title, Turntables and Tea. The first episode actually will be an episode of this podcast. He'll be joining me to discuss Dancing Queen, so that'll be our first episode, and one of the last episodes of this podcast. So, I'm really, really excited for it. Expect to be hearing more about that soon, but I want to hear from all of you. If there are any albums or artists that you would like him and I to discuss, please feel free to message me on Facebook and Instagram at Turnback Time Podcast. I would love to hear your input. We would like all the ideas we can possibly get. And I just can't overstate how excited I am to be doing this new project. I like doing a podcast by myself, but the most fun I had doing this one was with him, so I just am over the moon about it. It is going to be awesome, and I hope all of you come follow me through on this new journey. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, and I will see you all soon to discuss 2016 and 2017. Be sure to follow on Instagram and Facebook at Turnback Time Podcast for updates about this podcast and now Turntables and Tea. So, can't wait to do all of that, and I'll see you guys soon. Take care.